0: This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by The Colony. Come stay at The Colony, a place where you can really recharge your batteries. We offer seminars, group therapy. At The Colony, it's all very low-key. In the sand, the smell of death is on the And at night when the cold wind blows, no one cares, Hello, my name is Chris.
1: My name is Kelsey.
0: And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies, like the rotting corpses that they are. It's another werewolf week on Pod Cemetery. It's been a while since we had one of these. And... It's a recommendation week. Who recommended the movies this week, Kelsey?
1: Her Twitter handle is The
0: Chickapedia. thank you very much. She did clarify last time we said where does it fall on her top 10 list? It was like number 2, I think is what she clarified. Yes. Uh recently this week we are watching 1981's The Howling and Chickapedia's number 2 2000s Ginger Snaps. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show?
1: Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition.
0: Give me what you got.
1: Okay, so both these questions are really easy.
0: Oh, set me up for failure. All right.
1: In 1989's Pet Cemetery, what type of vehicle hits Gage Creed on the highway near the family house? Mack truck. A truck.
0: <laughs> it just says that. It just well, I says guess Mac truck. is a brand, so I guess there you go. I don't I I think it's a different brand of truck, but still. <laughs> it's an 18-wheeler or whatever. All right, Kelsey. Yes. This is also an easy one. Okay. Who directed A Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984? Wes Craven. That is correct. Well, we've got the easy ones right out of the way. Is my second one going to be easy, too? Yes. This one might be hard, but I think you should be able to get it. Okay. All right, Kelsey. First movie up is 1981's The Howling, based on a novel by Gary Brandner and screenplay written by John Savlis and Terrence H. Winkless, and directed by Joe Dante, starring D. Wallace, Patrick McNee, and Dennis Dugan. What is the howling about?
1: A woman is attacked by a serial killer, and her doctor recommends that she goes and spends some time at a retreat. Uh-huh. And some there's some nefarious activity going on at this <laughs> retreat.
0: You tried really hard to steer that away from, and then it goes downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> Should people watch the howling?
1: I don't know. It was okay.
0: <laughs> so, <sighs> director Edgar Wright has a term that he calls vegetable movies. I feel like in the horror world, this is probably a vegetable movie where it's not necessarily a movie that you watch because it's really great and amazing and you really like it. But because to be a well-rounded consumer of horror movies, you should probably watch The Howling. Yes. Yes. That's the reason I would watch this. It was, I don't know what I was expecting. I think I went in expecting it's a werewolf movie. I was certainly not expecting
1: this,
0: (laughs) Uh, but it's also Joe Dante, right? So he directed Gremlins, among other things. And like I said last week, this is supposedly the movie that got him Gremlins. Uh, Steven Spielberg saw this and was like, yep, he's the guy I want. And so, which
1: is odd. I don't really see the connection, but
0: yeah, especially for a guy who said that Gremlins wasn't a horror movie, like specifically. Yeah. So, and
1: I mean, if this was a horror comedy, I would be like, oh, see, that makes sense. This really isn't much of a comedy. So, it is
0: not a comedy at all.
1: Yeah. So, I don't know why that got him Gremlins, but sure.
0: But yeah, you should watch it. I think so. I think it's a good idea to watch it. Although, you should probably be aware that this movie has a lot of rape in it if you're gonna watch the movie. Like, we see it depicted on film, and for a lot of this movie, turning has a little bit of a rape metaphor in it. So, just content warning before you watch the movie. You could take our advice or leave it. And when we get back, we will talk about 1981's The Howling. All your nightmares are about to be transformed into one, single, inescapable fear. Tonight, I'm going to show you something make you believe. The Howling. Beyond anything human. Rated R. Now playing at a theater near you. Check newspapers. Kelsey, can you tell me what happens in The Howling?
1: One thing that I really liked about this movie is the way that it starts. Yeah. It just plunges into the story. Yeah. It doesn't have it doesn't sit there and give you tons of exposition. It just goes right into it, which I appreciate. And we open on D Wallace, who is a news reporter walking in a seedy area of town. I mean, like it's so seedy that a dude walks up to her and says how much. Yeah. You know. And meanwhile, we see her husband back at the studio. So she's supposed to meet up with a serial killer who has apparently fell in love with her.
0: Eddie the Mangler.
1: Yes, Eddie the Mangler. And the husband is really, really nervous about this. She's supposed to be being listened to by the cops. But right off the bat, they have interference. Yeah. Yeah. And so they can't really hear her.
0: And the wheel's on the ground.
1: They don't know where she is. And they even say to him, they have people in the area. They will find her. It's just like, Jesus Christ, she is going to meet a serial killer. Yeah. Like, this should be a much better orchestrated sting operation. Yeah,
0: and what... What we find out is that she is a news reporter, and that's why Eddie's fallen in love with her. She's reported on him, and he's been calling her. And so they have this sort of special relationship in his eyes, and he wants to meet her in person. And they end up meeting at this porn shop, where because she seems like a dignified woman... Uh, kind of empties out the shop yes. when she walks in. And she goes into a particular booth that has this smiley face on it, which yeah. is Eddie the Mangler's like insignia.
1: Yeah, his calling card. Which
0: we see in Gremlins, by the way. <laughs> it's on the refrigerator in Gremlins. She goes in there, and the movie playing is – it's a woman struggling against multiple men. And it's like a projection – Since I guess.
1: Well, that's what they did in the 80s. The booths
0: in the 80s were projected. Yeah. Yeah. So he's in there with her and he's talking to her.
1: Yeah. And it's weird, too, because when she enters, you don't see anybody, but she knows he's there. Yes. So it's really quite creepy.
0: And he's kind of behind her.
1: Yes. And when he
0: tells her to turn around, she does. But the projector light is in her face and he's very backlit. So she can't actually see his face.
1: Yeah. And he's saying uh, stuff like, these people are dead. Not like you and me. And I can light up your whole body. And
0: She didn't feel a thing, Karen. None of them do. They're not real, the people here. They're, they're dead. They could They could never be like me. But you're different, Karen. I watch you on TV. And I know how good I can make you feel. I'm going to light up your whole body, Karen.
1: Turn around now, Karen. He... Changes, and obviously it's the howling, we know it's about werewolves, we know he changes into a werewolf, but as Chris said, you can't really see him, and she, like, freaks out when it happens, because
0: I would too. (laughs) so the cops finally find her, they didn't hear the telephone conversation that they had in a public phone booth, so they didn't know where the location was going to be, but they're screaming from her, and these cops are nearby, and they come running in, and this trigger happy young cop just unloads into the booth.
1: Yeah, like knowing you,
0: there's a screaming woman inside. Yeah. And there might be other people in the nearby booths. Yeah. And
1: they and they comment on that. It's yes. not like that's what that's not the movie's not trying to say that's police procedure. They do call him Quick Draw McGraw. Yes. For doing it.
0: No knife, no gun, no nothing. The freak was clean. Now, what the hell happened back there? you ask and Ask McGraw And they kill Eddie. And she gets out. And she is obviously traumatized. He did want to rape her.
1: And she can't remember what happened.
0: Exactly. Partly because of the... You know, the trauma of the incident, the sensory overload from the film, and the light, and and the gunfire, and she just, she really can't. They kind of imply in a later therapy session that she's blocking it out, uh, that that's why she can't remember it, because she's intentionally blocking it out.
1: Well, also because most people would not accept that he was a werewolf. Right. So she has to be thinking that she made this up in her head. Yeah. And that's, you know, even worse. It's like, oh, my God, did this thing make me go crazy, you know?
0: Yeah. So she tries to go back to work.
1: When they try to film her, she just goes She blank. freezes.
0: Yeah. yeah. And so they stop filming and one of the producers, Terry, uh, comes immediately to her side and is like, okay, come on, let's get you out of here. Like, like, just focus on me, and I'll get you out of here. She, like, and,
1: grabs her face. <laughs> yeah, and,
0: like, turns her face towards her. Like, look at me. Don't think about anything else. Just think of me, and we'll get you out of here. And While they continue on with the, with the broadcast.
1: And then the guy... So, there's a lot of misogyny in this film. Yeah. And I don't know if it was intentional. So, for example, the producer looks at the dude who takes over for her and he just immediately plunges into whatever it is that he's supposed to be talking about yeah and the producer says now there's a pro and it's like excuse me yeah you know what she's just been through and you're saying that she's not professional because she can't handle it are you fucking kidding me
0: yeah that's uh kevin mccarthy playing the the producer
1: and even before that to the husband Several people tell him, like, that's a brave little old girl you got in there. That's yeah. a brave little young lady you got. And it's just uh-huh. like, excuse me? Little old girl? Young lady? Like, fuck you. She is a woman, yeah. first of all. And secondly, she's not just brave. She's doing something that could kill her. Right. So how about you show her a little more respect?
0: Karen, by the way, we haven't actually said, played by D. Wallace... Who's known for a number of things, but perhaps most particularly as being the mom in E.T. But we also saw her in
1: Red Christmas. Red
0: Christmas and Cujo. We didn't watch Cujo for the show, did we? No. No. Mm, Are we going to? Maybe. Maybe.
1: So there's this doctor that they've been interviewing a lot on
0: their n- news show Who can get into the mind of the killer
1: Yes, and he even actually starts the movie And he's he's saying a lot of things I'm not going to get into all of it But basically his whole thing is Man is sophisticated and primitive We have both sides inside of us And we need to find a balance Is essentially what he's he's trying to say Repression is the father of neurosis Of self-hatred now, stress results when we fight against our impulses. We've all heard people talk about um, animal magnetism, the natural man, the noble savage. As if we'd lost something valuable in our long evolution into civilized human beings. Now, there's a good reason for this. Man is a combination of the learned and the intelligent. Extant- the sophisticated and the primitive. We should never try to deny the beast,
0: the animal within us. Psst. It's a metaphor for werewolves, which is also a metaphor on
1: humans. (laughs) Yes. But so he suggests that they go and spend some time at this retreat. Yeah,
0: this is Dr. George Wagner, and he has his own retreat that he runs.
1: Which ends up being like a commune, practically. Yeah,
0: it's just a place where people can get away and unwind, and have group therapy sessions, and do activities that allow you to, you know, focus on getting better.
1: Yeah, and on the drive up there, she Dee Wallace is really, really cute, and uh, she she says to her husband, "I hope these people aren't too weird," because she's basically going to like a. A place where she thinks it's going to be filled with hippies, and she's pretty much right. She's pretty much right, yeah. And and it's very obvious, costume-wise, they're dressed in very typical yuppie 80s clothing. Yeah. Meanwhile, everyone else there is dressed like a hippie, practically. So they're walking around, and they come on, like, a pig
0: roast night. On a beach, on the side of a cliff. Yes. Like, underneath a cliff.
1: And they're meeting people, and she says hello to this lady, and she goes, oh, it's you from the news. You're our second favorite. And the husband's just like, oh, my God, I can't believe you just said that. Yeah. And, yeah, and they call it a colony. And I'm like, wait, isn't this just supposed to be, like, a retreat that yeah, you go Well, it's to?
0: literally called the colony.
1: Yes. Bill, the husband is immediately preyed upon by the, I forget what they call her, but she's like this loose lady who wants to have sex with him, and he immediately tries to shut her down. So it's like, good on ya. Also, he doesn't eat meat, which is all what they seem to be eating, and so he's just like, I guess I'll just sit over here and twiddle my thumbs, but that will become important later. So then, they're all talking... And there's this weird guy who, I guess, is supposed to be the brother of the girl who's loose.
0: TC is his name, played by Don McLeod, who, interestingly, is the gorilla in Trading Places. You know, when <laughs> they do the gorilla rape joke in Trading Places. Yeah.
1: This guy is very creepy. He won't stop staring at Dee Wallace. Um, and the, his sister, the loose lady. Marsha. Yeah, Marsha comes up to the doctor and she gives him this book back and she says, take this away. I don't want my brother reading it. And then Marsha glares at Dee Wallace. And I'm like, why are you mad at her? She had nothing to do with this. Well, we know
0: why. Because they're a full commune of werewolves and she's an outsider and is a human and not a werewolf. Oh,
1: Spoilers. (laughs) Spoilers, <laughs> and she says to the doctor, "You've done enough damage already." Yeah, and that will come up later. What damage she is talking about? But other people tell D. Wallace, "You'd better watch out for her. She's a nymphomaniac, and she'll go after your husband."
0: Yeah, Donna is this girl that sh- that Karen D. Wallace befriends, and uh, Donna, by the way, <laughs> has this scene. Where they're walking together, like, in the woods, and she's telling her about all the different things she's tried, all the different methods of, of improving her spiritually <laughs> that she's tried, and she sounds just like the that one victim in New Year's Evil, where she's like, first I tried Est, and then I did TM, and it's like, oh my god, it sounds just like that scene. <laughs>
1: Haven't you ever done
0: assertiveness training? No. Before I hooked into Doc, I did it all. I did EST, TM, Scientology, Iridology, Primal Screamers. I don't know, I
1: figure another five years of real hard work and maybe I'll be a human being. And then
0: I went to PA, you know, transactional analysis. I'm okay, you're okay, that sort of stuff. And then I went through EST. And finally, Zen. Oh, boy, that was some sort of spiritual trip. Now I'm riding hikus. There's also a, an old man who tries to commit suicide that night by throwing himself into the fire. Yes. And they all have to stop him. That's John Carradine. Now, he's been in a lot of things, including the Ten Commandments and Stagecoach. But, Kelsey, you know him best as the Great Owl in The Secret of Nim.
1: Really? Yep.
0: Interesting. I Fucking love the Secret of Nim. It's a great movie. It's probably my favorite animated movie.
1: I thought the Lion King was. Lion
0: King is my favorite, like Disney two D Disney animated movie. Yeah.
1: Okay. So later that night, D Wallace wakes up to howling outside. Yeah. Also, she has perfect makeup and perfect hair in the middle of the of
0: the night. Yep. Of course, she does. Yeah. Meanwhile, back in town. Terry, who we talked about earlier, and her husband, Chris, who are both producers on the news show.
1: So not the guy who said, now there's a pro. Not that guy. guy.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They continue to go looking for more information about Eddie the Mangler, who they haven't been able to identify yet. Uh, and they find his house, which by the way, they don't tell the cops about before they go in and start looking through everything mm-hmm. and totally ruining the crime scene. They find out who he is. His name is Eddie Quist. And they find all these uh, news clippings and drawings of people and places and
1: wolves
0: and wolves and all this stuff. And we're like, yep, he's totally a werewolf. And so so they have their own kind of side storyline for a while where they're looking into Eddie. Ultimately, they go to the morgue and the morgue attendant is gonna show them the body just because they asked. (laughs) And they open up the location. He knocks. Is this the is this the one where he knocks? He knocks on it and and then he opens it. Visitors, Eddie. He opens the slab where Eddie's supposed to be, and it's completely empty. And there are a bunch of pound marks on the inside of the door. They're like, "Uh, what?" Yes. And so they they start looking up
1: werewolf werewolf lore,
0: lore and they talk to this this bookstore owner who, who is, is Dick Miller from Gremlins. Yep. He's the WWII guy from Kremlins.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) And he is also in The Burbs, but we'll get to that at another date. He is totally awesome. (laughs) Yes. And, And we love him. And he's a really weird character in this. And he tells them that silver bullets or fire are the only way to kill werewolves. Otherwise, they can come back from the dead. Also, they can transform In his words, whenever they have a mind to. Mm -hmm. It's not just during a full moon or whatever. That's all bullpucky. Like we learned in The Wolfman, at that time it was an autumn moon. It wasn't until later that they turned it into a full moon. But really the original werewolf stories are just they can turn into wolves.
1: Yes, they are just shapeshifters. Exactly. And he says that even if you were like to destroy them, They regenerate. Yeah. So, like reptiles.
0: Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So, Donna and Karen go out for a walk.
1: And on this walk, they find a headless deer. Right. And
0: it's just been ripped apart.
1: As they're walking around, their flashlight starts to go out.
0: Yeah, of course. Very typical.
1: And then they get found by the men. And it's like, oh, now we're saved. And I'm like, I don't
0: get
1: what I'm supposed to be feeling about men from this movie.
0: (laughs) Also, so (laughs) they're found by the men who, um, throughout this movie, they go, like, hunting and stuff like that. And Bill goes with them. And he kills a rabbit really easily. And they're like, ah, he's a natural hunter. And in this group, it includes the sheriff. Sheriff Newfield, played by Slim Pickens. Mm-hmm. If you don't know who Slim Pickens is, Slim Pickens is Taggart, the right hand to Hedley Lamar in Blazing Saddles. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? He's also the pilot that rides the the bomb down in Doctor Strangelove. Mm-hmm. So he's the fun, humorous sheriff, fat, old sheriff character in this movie and uh, he finds them as well on this night. Yeah,
1: and uh when they're going out to go hunting for whatever it is that's killing these animals in the in the um wilderness, I think D Wallace says she wants to go with and they say no, this is a wolf hunt, not a coon show. Like Jesus. When the husband kills the rabbit, he is asked by the brother, the weird brother, TC, are you going to eat it? And he goes, oh, I don't really eat meat. And he says, you kill something that you don't eat. That's a sin. Yeah. So he's going to probably eat it.
0: So he sends him to his sister, Marsha, who would cook it up for him.
1: Mm-hmm. And she
0: goes to, but then she tries to seduce him and he ends up pushing her off.
1: Yes, he fights the urge. Yes,
0: and then on his way out, as he's walking back through the woods, he gets attacked by a large wolf and bitten and scratched. We never find out who this is, mm-hmm. but we can guess. Yes. Who do you think it is? The girl. Marsha? hmm Yeah, I think it could be her or TC, but we never know for sure. hmm
1: And when he gets back, D Wallace is watching the Wolfman. Yep. (laughs) Liked that. And now, all of a sudden, after getting attacked by that wolf, all of a sudden, he's eating meat.
0: Yeah. And she's really worried. So she calls her friend Terry, who is the producer who's been investigating this with her husband, and is like, I'm really worried. Can you come? And so Terry comes out uh, on her own because Chris... He's gonna join her later. He's gonna do a little bit more investigating, and he ends up going to the bookstore and grabbing the silver bullets that they had there because apparently a customer had ordered them and never picked them up. And he just grabs them. And how lucky
1: like, for that? Yeah, because like, it's not really just a bookstore; it's a store that has
0: like oddities, and stuff like that, Yeah, and so Dick Miller is like, I don't even know how much those cost, and he's like, Bill me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but okay, but before that happens. We have a wolf sex scene.
0: Yes. So Bill has these urges. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he leaves the cabin when Karen falls asleep. And he goes to the woods where he meets Marsha. Where they just happen to know where to go. Because he has this just physical urge. And then they end up having sex. And while they're having sex in front of this fire, they transform into werewolves.
1: Yeah, and I'm sorry, it's nothing compared to
0: American Werewolf in London. So this first actual transformation scene, we don't see much. As a matter of fact, it's actually animated when we see their outlines against the color of the light of the fire. It's actually hand-animated on the cell. Okay. Which I thought was pretty interesting. We don't see an actual real close-up transformation for a while, but we will a little bit later, and honestly I think... It's different in many ways and similar in other ways, but you could easily compare it to the famous transformation scene in American Werewolf in London. Whether you think it's better or not is a completely different topic, but we'll talk more about that when we get there.
1: Like Chris said, the wife is figuring out that, you know, something's going on and they're kind of buying into this whole werewolf thing, uh, the wife of the producer, and she realizes that this picture that this serial killer does. Kill- this
0: is Terry. Terry goes out on her own.
1: Yeah. Terry sees that this picture that the serial killer had drawn is of an area right by this retreat. So this is at the point where you're like, oh my God,
0: the doctor was behind all of this. Yeah. Where you yeah, you start to figure that out, but you know Eddie was here.
1: So while she is walking Like, a voice starts talking to her, and she goes after it. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? You are aware that this is probably a really bad situation, and you go to a voice that says your name? And where does she go? I don't know.
0: It's Marsha's cabin. Ah. Yeah.
1: Oh, my God. And then we get a dun-dun-dun in strings. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) And the musical stings here are really bad um, and really obvious. And she doesn't know about the happy face sticker, and there's one inside the cabin. Yeah.
0: And she is attacked by a werewolf. And we get our first clean look at a werewolf here. And these are some fucking yeti-ass werewolves. <laughs> They're just like large humans with fur, like you might see in like a Bigfoot outfit or something like that. And they have these ears that stick straight up. They look a little like the werewolf character in Altered Beast for the Sega Genesis uh, with the with the ears sticking straight up but otherwise being human with a wolf face kind of thing. Uh, it, it's a very interesting and unique look. Like, if you see a werewolf that looks like this, you might think, oh, that's a howling version of a werewolf. Mm-hmm.
1: And she ends up... Getting away, but before she does, she cuts off the paw of the wolf.
0: This hand effect was dope as fuck. It was really good. It was. It's probably next to the transformation that we see later, and maybe the best- Actual effect in the entire movie.
1: It is. So the paw turns into a human hand and she is just screaming her head off. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh-huh. And she gets away and she. Oh my
1: god. And when she's running, she starts throwing her <laughs> arms around. I'm like, what are you doing?
0: <laughs> she makes it to the doctor's office and she's looking around and inspecting stuff. And it's like, you were just attacked by a werewolf.
1: <laughs>
0: and then she gets attacked by another werewolf. And murdered. Yes.
1: Uh, meanwhile, Dee Wallace, and so this whole time that her friend was there before she died, she was telling her, I'm really concerned, I think my husband might cheat on me with this chick. Yeah. With, with Marsha. And so- D Wallace confronts her husband because at this point he has had sex with Marsha. Yeah. And he, she approaches him and she and he's just like you're getting real paranoid and she goes She walks by you like a bitch in heat and then he slaps her. Yeah. You should go fuck yourself. You did <laughs> you did cheat on your wife. What are you? You don't have anything to be self-righteous about. <laughs> I love the way you said that. You should go
0: fuck yourself.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Then she gets approached by the same serial killer.
0: We should point out up to this point that we've figured out something that D. Wallace hasn't. Because while Terry was in this doctor's office and she was looking around for stuff, she finds a folder labeled Quist. And she finds entries for Eddie, knowing that, yes, he has been a patient here but so are Marsha and TC. Mm -hmm. Their last names are Quist as well.
1: Oh, I didn't notice that. Yes,
0: and she calls Chris, her husband, when she gets attacked, and that's why he rushes out and he grabs the bullets and he heads out to the retreat as well, the colony. So yeah, Dee Wallace is, she leaves and she goes investigating too, and she finds Terry's mutilated body on... The the table, the examination table. And this is when she's approached by
1: the killer. Eddie the
0: Mangler. Yeah. What the fuck? He's alive. Oh. No, you didn't see that coming, he's still alive.
1: <laughs> and then we and, have.
0: And he is, we should say, Robert Picardo, who, if you don't know who Robert Picardo is, he's also in the burbs. <laughs> But he is more famous for playing the doctor in Voyager, the holographic doctor in Star Trek Voyager. That's where you know him from. He's the crazy, rough and rugged and feral looking serial killer. If you imagine the balding doctor from Voyager.
1: Never seen Voyager. That's him. Oh, my God. And then we get so he's mad. He's like, you know, you tricked me, blah, blah, blah. Now I'm going to show you what I really am. And
0: then we have this awful transformation scene. I thought it was pretty cool. It's not believable in any way, shape, or form, but it's really cool. He we got this bubbling up under the skin.
1: But it goes on for way too long.
0: That's kind of what I would say about a lot of this movie. Yeah. We'll continue. Uh, and, and he and he changes and the, the face comes out of his actual face.
1: Which they do in American Werewolf in London. And these but two movies were made, at the, yeah.
0: movies were made at the same time. Yeah. Uh, these movies were made at the same time. As a matter of fact, we mentioned this in last week's episode. Rick Baker was going to do this movie and he left to do an American Werewolf in London. And he had his assistant, Rob Botten, do this movie. And you know Rob Botten because he did the special effects in The Thing.
1: Yes, and I feel like his style works better for the thing. Yeah. Or maybe it's just that he has more experience by the time he got to the thing. Because here, it, yeah, you could make an argument that it's kind of cool. But it goes on for super long and just it doesn't look realistic. It looks like you're watching an animatronic.
0: Right. And the whole time she's just like staying there while he's transforming.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like, why so wouldn't like, you run
0: away? <laughs> yeah. It, it The long transformation scene it makes you ask questions like, why didn't she run?
1: <laughs> what happens with acid? That's my next note I think I, she
0: splashes acid on him
1: Where Hold does on. the acid come
0: from? She finds a bottle of acid and hurls it into his face scarring. How does she
1: find a bottle of acid? Yes <gasps> Who just has a pool of acid in their house yeah. and That leaves it there forever <laughs> That's a reference to House on Haunted Hill, everybody <laughs> Whenever I see acid now, that's exactly what I'm thinking
0: of <laughs> Uh, but th- that's how she gets away. She throws acid on him, acid that's just sitting in a bottle in the doctor's office.
1: And then she goes to her car and she just slowly gets in. Did you notice that?
0: Yes, I did. <laughs> She's just like, mm-hmm. she might as well have been checking her mirrors and putting exactly. her seatbelt on. Yeah. Uh-huh. So Chris shows up at this point at the office and Eddie attacks him. Now, Eddie's a human now, but because of the acid, he is all fucked up. Mm-hmm. And uh, he takes Chris's gun, which has the, the silver bullets, or he has the silver bullets for this gun, and he plays a recording, and it's a recording of Eddie killing Terry, Chris's wife. Now, how he knows that this is Chris who came because Terry asked him to show up, I mean, I guess he just figured because she was calling somebody named Chris and he doesn't know this guy, but, like, it's a weird guess to be, like, so confident about, let me play you the sounds of your wife's screams. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, and he basically, he, like, triple dog dares him.
1: Yeah, he he's like, go ahead and shoot me. it won't do anything.
0: And so Chris takes him up as, on his offer and shoots him. And Eddie did dies. not know that it has silver bullets in it. And so Eddie dies. It's kind of awesome. The concept is, like, you don't need to mortally wound them. It's the silver that does it. Mm-hmm. And that and they die because of the silver. Mm-hmm. And this happens throughout because people are killed without knowing that he has silver bullets. Like, this happens probably three times in the movie. And they're like, whatever, shoot me all you want. And then he shoots them. They're like, oh, fuck.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then they die. So Chris finds Karen. And they're trying to get out together, but the whole entire colony shows up and they take them to the barn.
1: Yes, and this is where we get some backstory, and we find out that the Doctor is a werewolf, too, which we kind of basically knew. We knew he was kind of behind it. Yes. But what we didn't know was that he's trying to get them to assimilate.
0: Yes, he. this colony is for them to be werewolves, but they need to also be humans. Earlier in the movie, when he's talking about how there are two sides to man, there's the civilized side, and then there's the feral side of man— <laughs> That's his view of werewolves, and he feels like as werewolves, they need to embrace their werewolfness, but also they need to recognize that they are also civilized. They are not just werewolves, but there's also this kind of smaller faction who's headed up by Marsha, who's like, no, fuck that. We are werewolves, and we will live like werewolves.
1: Yeah, the old guy who tried to kill himself earlier said, you can't tame what's meant to be wild, Doc. We should have stuck with the old wings. Crazy cattle for our
0: feed. Where's the life in that? The humans are our cattle. The humans are our prey. We should feed on them like we always done. Screw all this channel, your energy's crap. <laughs> you can't tame what's meant to be wild, Doc. It ain't natural. So, this whole time, Chris just has his gun. They dare him again. It's like, whatever, do it, shoot us, ha <laughs> you're in trouble, guy. And then he shoots one of them, and that dude dies, and they're like, oh, fuck, he has silver bullets. And, he, and they end up firing on, like, a lot of them. And so all the werewolves run back into the barn, and Karen and Chris lock them in the barn and then set the fucking thing on fire. Because we know there's two ways to kill them, silver bullets and fire.
1: And there are all of a sudden just... Fuck ton
0: of werewolves. All of them turn into werewolves. Where did they and all come from? There was a from? ton of them. They were hiding in the shadows of the barn, yeah, and yeah, it was but, all the people at the colony. Every single one, including Donna and her husband. But we
1: never saw like this enormous mass of people.
0: Sure, we did.
1: No, it was shot
0: kind of in in tight shots, so we didn't see like the whole crowd. But every angle, there's people in the background and in the shadows and stuff. Uh, well, so, so they try to run away.
1: You forgot the doctor death scene, which is very interesting. Okay. So when they're tempting the guy to shoot them, I think they figure out that he does have silver bullets, and then the doctor starts to walk towards him. But he's not really being threatening, but the guy with the gun is like, stay back or I will shoot you. Mm-hmm. And the doctor just keeps walking, and then he shoots him, and the doc says, thank God. There we real. Don't come any closer,
0: doctor. Please. My <laughs>
1: God. Like he wanted to die.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a talking about the internal struggle of the duality of man, and the doctor has been tired of not only dealing with that struggle himself, but with trying to help others deal with it as well, and. It falling upon deaf ears for the most part.
1: It's really interesting that that's how you took it.
0: How did you take it?
1: I took it as he actually wanted to be a full human and couldn't help that he was a werewolf.
0: Right. And he spent a lot of time, you know, learning to come to terms with that. And how you come to terms with that is by striking a balance. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. So they try to get out, but they get attacked by a bunch of werewolves. And as they're driving away, another one breaks into the car. This werewolf attacks and bites Karen. And they shoot him. And he turns back into a human. And it's Bill. They shoot the car from outside. And it blows up. (laughs) I love when movies do that. Because it's totally nonsense. I wrote down, why did the car blow up? And they're in another car, which they have the keys to for some reason. The keys are just in the car. But I guess if you're on a colony, what's the point of hiding keys or whatever? And they're driving away. They're trying to get away and they're stopped by Slim Pickens who also doesn't know that the gun is full of silver
1: bullets.
0: (laughs) So they shoot and kill Slim Pickens as well. They get into uh, his cop car and they drive away. And they talk about how they can't destroy all of them. So what do they need to do?
1: They need to warn the people.
0: They need to warn people. Yes. So you might be asking, how exactly do they warn people? How exactly do they, quote, make them believe? Mm Mm-hmm. People won't believe you unless you can prove it to them. So days later, weeks later, whatever, uh, she's back and nobody knows what happened at the colony. And she's back at her job at the news station. And Chris is still her producer, even though Terry died. And I guess nobody asked where Terry is. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, And she's she's going to do her report. And she starts talking all this dramatic talk and the executive producer guy is like, what the fuck is she doing? Cut to commercial or whatever. And Chris is like, no, we stay on her. This is important. And the dude's like, you are you guys are all fired. Like, you know, this better be good or whatever. And she tells the whole story of the colony and how there was the big fire and how there are werewolves. And she's not reading from the prompter. And she tells the audience that, there is this secret society of shapeshifters that live amongst them and that she had this eyewitness experience with them. And she knows they won't believe her, so she's brought proof. And she starts transforming into a werewolf on live television. And we see, like, people in the audience being, like, not you know, watching TV in a bar and at home being like, whoa, shit, what the fuck? Those are incredible special effects. Yeah,
1: exactly. That's the problem is that a lot of people assume it's special effects. So once
0: she's fully transformed and it's been proven, Chris comes out with the gun and shoots her with a silver bullet. And
1: boy, does D. Wallace make a hideous werewolf. Yeah. Uh (laughs) And I think D. Wallace is adorable, but as a werewolf, not so much.
0: And there's a guy in the bar and he's like, no, that was real. They really shot her and killed her on national television.
1: And who's sitting next to that man at the bar? Marsha. And that really pissed me off. How did Marsha escape?
0: Well, we know a lot of werewolves escaped. Do we? Yeah, they chase after her in the car. Mm. Her and Chris. Mm. That's how Bill got out, too. They end up breaking through the wall. Yeah, but Marsha
1: and- was definitely in the barn.
0: Yeah, so was everyone else. Mm. But they got out. They didn't actually all burn alive, and they weren't all shot by the silver bullets. That's why the Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf... Is about Marsha. Ah. She's a werewolf. So, Kelsey, Lightning Round, what other thoughts do you have about this movie?
1: Oh my god. After she kills her husband, we yeah. see some wolves like in the background. I swear to god, they're claymation. And it looks
0: bad. Claymation wolves. That's <laughs> really, really bad. When Karen transforms. Yeah. You can tell she has silver fillings. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought that that was interesting. The movie ends on a shot at this bar where they're cooking a hamburger. And it's just the credits roll over the entire time this burger is cooking. That Marcia has ordered, you know, extra rare or whatever. And that's the funny tagline that ends the movie. And we just watch this burger grilling. And I'm like, are we going to watch this entire burger grilling? And, and we yep, do. Yes, you are. <laughs> the credits end with that scene from The Wolfman where the gypsy says, go now and heaven help you. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty interesting. They incorporated The Wolfman in a couple scenes like you had mentioned earlier.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's it for
0: me. Roger Corman is in this movie, the director. Joe Dante apparently worked under him. And so he gave him a walk-on role. He's the guy waiting for D Wallace to get off the phone in the opening sequence. And he, uh, checks. I noticed this too. And I'm like, what was that? And I found out later that it was Roger Corman. He checks the, uh, the phone to see if there's (laughs) any change in it. Apparently, apparently this is a reference to how much of a cheap guy he was when he was making his movies. That's why he made a bunch of B movies. They're really kind of low, but fun quality. Because they're made really cheaply.
1: Uh, it totally reminded me of Rosemary's Baby, that scene, because she's freaking out thinking it might be him. Yeah. The killer, just like Rosemary. Yeah. Freaks out in the phone booth thinking it's the doctor.
0: Yeah. So, Kelsey. Yeah. What do you think this movie got on Rotten Tomatoes?
1: 55. 68.
0: Okay. A Metacritic of 68. <laughs> overrated or underrated?
1: Um, maybe a little overrated.
0: Yeah. What would you give it?
1: I thought this movie was pretty much just okay. I mean, like, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. It's just not great. I'll give it a 60.
0: I'll probably say 65. Okay. I I liked it a little bit more than you, I think. Mainly because I think it's very well made, but it is way too slow.
1: It's very slow. You know
0: me, I really like deliberate pacing. Mm Mm-hmm. That kind of strings you along and keeps the tension high, but this feels slow, not tense, Mm -hmm. which is a bummer because I was really high on this movie early on. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, this is like a seriously like it's a serious movie, it's well made, especially with the opening scene with the serial killer, it's like it's going to be this it's going for this gritty realism and the the way you you're dropped right into it and you're expected to pick up with the information as it goes along, which kind of puts you in the place of all the other characters in this scene where nobody has a complete picture of what's happening and I'm like wow, that's actually really cool and effective And the more you watch the movie, the more that feeling just kind of drains away. Mm -hmm. Not like Winchester where you're just like, it plummets. Mm -hmm. But you're just like kind of disappointed. Yeah. So it was good. But only kind of good.
1: Yeah. It just, it needed, uh, the script needed editing. Yeah. Um, Not necessarily because like it's badly written, just because you need to know what to put in there and what to take out, you know? And I haven't read the book for all I know. This is a perfect replica of the book. But the problem is, I mean, that's why you got to edit. You got to cut shit out. Yeah. Yeah. There needed to be more tension, more scares. Because honestly, if this didn't have werewolves in it, it wouldn't be a horror at all.
0: It'd be like a what, like a thriller?
1: I guess, or more like a drama.
0: I know, I guess you're right. No, I don't know about a drama because there's like a, even take the werewolves out, there's still this like unknown conspiracy. Yeah. And there is that serial killer subplot. So it'd be more like a a thriller, probably less a horror than like Seven is. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I can see where you're going with that.
1: Yeah, and- there's just shot. There's just scenes that just go on, and I'm like, why does this scene need to keep yeah. going? It doesn't. You could cut a lot of this out. I mean, Dee Wallace is great in it. Yeah, I actually think the acting is pretty solid. Good. Yeah, good. Like, yeah, it's just kind of boring.
0: We didn't mention Chris is played by Dennis Dugan. How do you know Chris, Kelsey?
1: How do I know Chris
0: Dugan? You said you knew him, Dennis.
1: Dugan. Oh, the dude from Happy Gilmore.
0: Yes, yeah, he's been in a few Adam Sandler movies.
1: Yeah, he always kind of plays like a nice but prick, <laughs> like a nice prick that doesn't know he's a prick.
0: Yeah, uh-huh. you know.
1: But yeah, it's 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 just okay. It's just an okay film.
0: It's a it's a in the realm of horror movies, it's a vegetable movie. I suppose you should watch it. Okay, but don't expect greatness. Mm-hmm. I. But you can like looking at these sequels <laughs> apparently i think it's four. one of these sequels just retells the same story but it's a direct adaptation of the novel okay so this is, does vary a little bit but uh they go back and try to retell it again all right kelsey that was 1981's the howling before we move on to our modern film trivial pursuit horror edition. What question do you have for me?
1: So easy. Who directed 1996's Scream?
0: Wes Craven.
1: That's correct.
0: (laughs) It would have been great if that was your first question. We had a who directed question and both answers are Wes Craven. (laughs) All right, Kelsey. By the end of Split 2016, how many personalities does Kevin Wendell Crumb exhibit.
1: I knew that was what you were going to ask, so I feel like you've already asked me this question. And how yet, did you know that was what I was going to ask? As soon as you said split, I was like, you're going to ask me how many personalities he has. I'm pretty sure you've asked me this before. And of course, I can't think of it. It's, oh God, it's some ridiculous number.
0: <sighs> so we don't see all of them in the movie, but they do say the number. And you have to add one to it.
1: I feel like it ends in an eight. I can't remember if it's 18 or 28. 28 sounds way too high.
0: And 18 sounds too low, so must be somewhere in there.
1: Is it 19? No. What is it?
0: 24.
1: 24. The
0: doctor says he has 23 personalities. But then the Beast is 24. It was funny. You were right on either side of it. <laughs> All right. Moving on to 2000's Ginger Snaps, written by Karen Walton and John Fawcett, directed by John Fawcett, and starring Emily Perkins, Catherine Isabel, and Chris Lemch, Lemche Lemche Lempch? Who knows <laughs> what is Ginger Snaps about?
1: Ginger Snaps is about two teenage girls and one of them is attacked by a werewolf right around the time that she gets her period for the first time. Yeah.
0: This one this one's a metaphor for
1: Girls, female sexuality and growing up and becoming a woman. Yeah, and, and the
0: changes you go through. There's yes. blood, there's hair, you know, all of that. You become – your appetites for certain things increase. Yes. Yeah. So, this, in this case, in The Howling, it's a metaphor for the dual nature of man. In this, the transformation is a metaphor for puberty. Interestingly... The two sisters who are very close, Bridget and Ginger, Bridget is Emily Perkins. She is the young Beverly Marsh in It, the TV miniseries. Yep. And
1: when you said it, I was like, oh, my God, of course she is. But like, I couldn't put my finger on. Right. You're like, I
0: know her from somewhere. (laughs) That's why I had to look it up. And it's like, yep, yep. She's Beverly. (laughs) And Ginger is Catherine Isabel. Another. I feel like I know her from something. And you look it up and you're like, no, no, no. Ah, she's Margot Verger from the Hannibal TV show. Yeah. Verger's sister who wasn't in Hannibal the movie. I don't think. Was she? Was the sister in Hannibal the movie?
1: I don't think so. And I can't remember if Mason she's even Verger's in the book. Mason sister?
0: Yeah, you've read all those books.
1: Yeah, but I read them years ago. I can't, I can't, I feel like she's in the book, but I don't think she's in the movie.
0: Yeah. But uh, they're both really great. I think, I think they make good sisters.
1: Yeah. I really like this movie.
0: Should people watch it?
1: That's what I was going to say. I really like this movie, and there are a lot of people I would recommend it to. There are also a lot of people I would not recommend it to. It's strange, and it's got this wonderful dark comedy element, which I love. Yeah. but I'm
0: I'm kind of upset I didn't watch this earlier, because (laughs) in 2000, I was 16. I would have loved this movie.
1: Yeah, when I saw it when I was fourteen, I really enjoyed it. But and it's, 17, it's most 17. and it's most certainly got a feminist outlook, and you know I really enjoy it. But it's a very strange movie, and if you don't like strange movies, then you're probably not going to like it. Yeah, but I love dark comedies. I love the strangeness about it. I like what it has to say. I'm not crazy about the the special effects or lack thereof, and so makeup in in replace of it.
0: <laughs> John Fawcett, the director, uh-huh. he apparently insisted that all the creature effects be done practically mm-hmm. with prosthetics and makeup, and it didn't have any CGI as a result.
1: And that's okay. Because movies like American Werewolf in London did it amazingly.
0: Well, I wrote, yeah, that's probably a good idea because it was the year 2000. Uh, Yes. CGI effects in the year 2000. God awful. Did not age well.
1: No. But I don't know. Okay, look, I don't need feminine werewolves to be sexy. I really don't.
0: But get it, Kelsey? Periods? Werewolves? Both determined by cycles of the moon.
1: Get it? I I get it. (laughs) But what I was going to say is, I don't need feminine werewolves to be sexy. But if you're going to go there, if you're going to mix the two, then she'd better be sexy. And when they change her face, and she's supposed to be a hot werewolf, I'm like, oh no.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the other things is that These girls were in, like, their early 20s or their late teens when they made this movie. But, like, all the characters who are supposed to be a certain age look that age. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't look like 30-somethings playing teenagers, which is what we normally get. They look like just normal teenagers. All the kids at the school look like normal teenagers.
1: And that's fine. I loved it. Yeah, that's great. I'm just saying... If you're going to do that, if you're going to make her a hot werewolf, then she'd actually better be a hot werewolf and not have a really weird looking face. Yeah. I was not crazy about the makeup.
0: Like, you know, those parts of the eyes, like the insides of your eyes where your tear ducts are, they kind of stretch those out and, and put them further down the bridge of her nose. And it makes for this kind of weird effect. But when she's transforming, you don't like it goes through this long period where she's just like a person and she's transforming kind of permanently into a wolf. Mm -hmm. So if that makes you interested, you should watch it. But if that sounds like it's not up your alley, like the people who Kelsey would not recommend this movie to,
1: I'm just, I
0: see if it sounds interesting and not, if it doesn't, that's great insight.
1: Like, okay. Not you, me. (laughs) If you were into like Val, um, uh, welcome to the dollhouse. Absolutely, see this movie.
0: Yeah. Okay. Oh, good.
1: If you've seen Welcome to Dollhouse and you're like, fuck this, what the hell am I watching? You probably won't enjoy Ginger (laughs) Snaps. You have to like that strange, dark, comical stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, take that for what you will. When we get back, we will talk about the year 2000s Ginger Snaps. two sisters together forever
1: united against life as we know it
0: with an appetite for the macabre I'm slitting my throat
1: you should definitely hang
0: all it takes is one night and one bite
1: dog maybe. Did I change last night? How would the moon?
0: Ginger's changing.
1: How do you feel? Wicked. They're just being normal teenage girls.
0: I think she's gone. Ginger snaps and bites. So we're
1: almost not even related anymore.
0: Kelsey, can you get us started and tell us what happens in ginger snaps?
1: Sure. We open with a mom finding her ...dead dog to which she takes her child over to see, and then she runs out into the street and starts screaming, It got our dog! And everybody kind of looks at them and then goes back to what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, because apparently you find out that there is some sort of crazy rabid dog running around this town.
0: Tearing up smaller dogs.
1: Yes. So, then they, uh, we meet our title characters...
0: Bridget and Ginger Fitzgerald I explained who plays them Before the break
1: (laughs) Yeah, so
0: Listen, there's a lot of talk about Suicide right in this scene
1: Yes Ginger is playing with a knife And talking about different ways Of killing herself Saying that suicide is the ultimate fuck you And that Us, meaning her and her sister So us dead will be the shit
0: Yes and at first, it's like, well, this is a little melodramatic. But then we come to find out that they're not talking about really killing themselves. They stage these sorts of photographs. And we next get to see a montage of all the different photographs that they're staging of the different ways that they could die. Because both sisters are just obsessed with death. It's really good. I it's really, really I really good. enjoyed it. <laughs> I wrote down... Watching this montage, I kind of love these girls.
1: Yeah. They're awesome. And then we find out that they were taking those pictures for a class. And the class absolutely loved all of their pictures. Yeah.
0: But the teacher, not so much.
1: No, he said he was completely sickened and that he wants to see them separately. And this happens like twice in the movie. Yeah. Did you get kind of like a pedophilia feel from this teacher?
0: No. I it, I mean, I see what you're saying, but that's not the feeling I got during it. I just know that when you have two people that run around together all the time, you, you question them separately.
1: So at school, we then meet the bully.
0: Trina Sinclair.
1: Trina Sinclair. And this bully has... Uh, she bothers the two main girls a lot, and so they decide hey, let's kill her dog and we can pretend that it was taken by the Beast of Bailey Downs. A little much. A little much. uh, (laughs) But what we kind of learn here is that Ginger is very protective of her younger sister. Her younger sister and her are kind of outcasts, but that's pretty much on purpose. They definitely want to be.
0: Right. And we find out at dinner that even though they're... 16 and 15, I believe, neither one of them has started their period yet.
1: Yes, and the little sister has skipped a grade, so that's why they're in the same grade together. Yes. Which is why they can spend so much time together at school. But so she's very protective of her younger sister, so when the bully attacks her sister, that's why she's like, I'll fucking kill her. I'll do it. I'll do it if you want me to. So
0: Ginger is the one that's much more outspoken and angry, and Bridget is very... Acerbic and Insular But they get along together They complement each other very well Yeah, Bridget Is younger and Ginger feels this need to protect her And Will doesn't give a shit about what anyone else thinks Really only her sister Like, you know, together till they die Kind of ride or die mentality
1: Yeah, they have this thing that they say a lot
0: Out by 16 or dead on the scene But together forever
1: Yes It's the pact
0: We swore we'd go together one way or another. Out by 16 or dead in the scene, but together forever.
1: United against life as we know it. Okay, did you think that when they said out by 16, did they mean like suicide?
0: No, they mean out of the town. They need to get out of here and go live their lives together.
1: Okay, or dead in the scene, meaning that they'll just stay there and they'll die inside.
0: Right, but I think dead on the scene... Yeah, I mean, maybe that is a suicide thing. Maybe out by 16, they're dead on the scene, meaning, like, there. Or it could be a reference to the scene. They're out doing something, living their lives, and dying because they're hard living or whatever. You know, it, it it could mean a number of things, and it really isn't specific. But I think probably the most reasonable explanation is, get out of here or die.
1: We find out that they, have never, they haven't had their periods yet, and Ginger keeps rubbing her back. And the mom... is excited and she's like oh my god do you think it's cramps and she and the girls are like we are eating so they're very much disgusted by menstruation
0: yeah and they're really bothered by how outgoing their mother is their dad is one of those quiet dads that just doesn't say or do anything, and just wants to live his own life in a house full of girls. <laughs> and the mom is, like, super ha- energetic.
1: I love her. Yes. The mother is great. She's hilarious. She is the highlight of the comedy of this film. And yeah,
0: It's Mimi Rogers, by the way. So you've definitely seen her before. Probably, I would say, she's Mrs. Kensington in Austin Powers. Mrs. Kensington. <laughs> who was uh, his his old sort of sexy partner back in the past? Hello, Mrs. Kensington. Hello, Austin. Why don't you have a model for me, Mrs. Kensington?
1: You know how Mr. Kensington
0: feels about that. Obey. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, baby. Yeah. Uh, if you remember that, she was the mom and lost in space. But you know her; she's very cool. We like her a lot. But obviously obnoxious to her kids.
1: Yeah, she is a big, huge contrast to the rest of the film. And she's just kind of splashed throughout, and I love it.
0: Yeah, just enough of her. Although, we lose her at one point in the movie and just never come back to her. Yeah. Which is kind of a bummer.
1: Mm -hmm. So after dinner, they decide to go after the dog.
0: So while they're out there, all of a sudden- Ginger gets her first period. They're walking through the woods in town and she starts bleeding from, you can see it come out from underneath the cuff of her shorts. And we all know what that is, but they're like, what the fuck am I dying? Like what's going on? And this is the moment when the beast of Bailey Downs attacks, smells that blood and attacks Ginger. It was nearby because it did just kill the, uh, the bully's dog. And, She gets bitten. Oh no! We all know what this is about, but nobody else does. The two get separated. Bridget finds her, hits the beast, and they're trying to run away. And they cross the street, nearly getting hit by a van. Instead, the beast gets hit by the van,
1: and the van is just completely covered in blood. Yes, the thing just gets obliterated
0: again. Remember, this is not CG; it's all practical effects. Yes. I would also
1: like to point out that when she got, when she realized that she had gotten her period, she says, B, which is what she calls her sister, Uh instead of Bridget, B, B, I just got the curse. B. I just got the curse. Ew. Well, it's not contagious. I know that. God. I mean,. Kill yourself to be different. Your own body screws you. But if I start simping around tampon dispensers and moaning about PMS, shoot me, okay? Which is
0: well-placed because
1: it's right before she gets the curse of being a werewolf. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And so you can see that the movie is very obviously and very clearly connecting her turning into a wolf the same as her turning into a woman.
0: right. So Bridget is really concerned about the injuries that Ginger sustained, and Ginger insists they not go to the hospital because, well, look, they're already healing. And Bridget's like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Lots of things end up happening with these wounds. They start growing hair on their own. She gets a little nubbin' on her tailbone. Oh, yeah. Of of a little tail starting to grow out. And I'm not going to be coy about this because we know exactly what's happening to her. But Ginger insists that there's nothing wrong.
1: She starts to experience a lot of pain, right? And Bridget says, is it just cramps? And she says the words just and cramps do not go together. Because that's how painful it is for her. And this guy who has taken an interest in Ginger, because she now has boobs... Well, yeah. Basically says, hey, man, I got three sisters and uh, I can tell you right now, a good toke takes the edge off. Uh-huh. And so she starts hanging out with the bad boys and she starts smoking weed. And it's pretty funny. There, there, It's a really interesting line because he says that, you know, it'll take the edge off. And she says, well, maybe I like my edge. And he says, or maybe you're too chicken to lose it.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: And so they do start smoking weed, and they do this inside the van of the town drug dealer. Yeah. Who apparently didn't give them permission to do so. No,
0: yeah, his name's Sam. They just snuck into the back of his van. He's a gardener.
1: And he is the one who hit the the werewolf.
0: Yes, because when Bridget is looking for Ginger, finds out she's in this van, she sees that it's the van that, that hit the beast, and she can see it's all kind of fucked up, and... This is where she meets Sam, the drug dealer, and they start talking a little bit before he runs them out of the van.
1: (laughs) And she asks him, what'd you hit with your van? And he says, a lycanthrope. And she goes, I know what that is. He says, sure you do. And then she basically schools him. And she's like, yeah, I fucking do know what it is. It's a fucking werewolf. Uh-huh. And he's all, like, surprised. And she has a picture of the werewolf. Uh-huh. Because she carries around her camera a lot. And when the when the wolf was attacking Ginger, we forgot to say this, she started to hit it with her camera. And it,
0: and it was, like, taking pictures during this time. And so when they're starting to ask questions, and like, what if it is just, like, this big feral dog? He's like, No. I know it was a lycanthrope. And she's like, how did you know? And he's like, I don't know, his human circumcised dick? <laughs> See, I flattened an animal. Furry, all fours, could be anything. But here I am thinking, lycanthrope. Oh, that's crazy, huh? Book me into the rubber motel, I'm officially all fucked up, right?
1: What if you're not?
0: Well, that would explain the human circumcised dick. And why you're running for your life from it. Which I guess, yeah, dead giveaway.
1: (laughs) Yes, definitely.
0: I thought that that was really clever and something I had literally never thought of before. (laughs) Because you think of like, oh, maybe you find a werewolf and it has like a tattoo underneath the fur that you can see or fillings or or something like that or a particular scar. But yeah, what about its dick?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, like Chris said, her wounds start growing hair but like ginger is convinced that it's just like puberty puberty because she doesn't want to face what it
0: could be it's also super convenient the way it matches puberty symptoms because like the mom starts getting really excited oh hair in places where it's not normally and like yeah (laughs) and it's a baking her a cake
1: i think yeah she bakes her a cake yeah. For becoming a young woman. Uh-huh. And, like, at one point, she has an awesome line. She says, I can't have a hairy chest, B, that's fucked! <laughs> I can't have a hairy chest, B, that's fucked! It's hilarious. Yeah, it is. Ginger has a lot of hilarious lines in this
0: movie. It's Well, weird. she gets to be the one that's, like, emotionally aggressive and physically aggressive.
1: Yes. Bridget is trying to convince Ginger that she's turning into a werewolf. And Ginger's not going to have it, right? And she says, well, you're doing drugs with guys. There's obviously something wrong with you. And she's like, you know, maybe it's just me growing up finally. She starts to get silver streaks in her hair. Her eyes start
0: to kind of change color. And she
1: starts to dress really sexy. Yeah. Which is kind of the turning point for the sisters. That's when they kind of veer off in their own directions. And she's become very sexually aggressive. And Bridget, out of desperation, goes to Sam and says, I need to know everything you know about werewolves. And he's like, okay, forget all the Hollywood rules. You know, this is its own thing. And she realizes that it's an infection, a virus, that is transmitted yeah. through bites. Um, and she tries to tell Ginger this. And Ginger gets pissed and decides, you know, fuck it, I'm going to go have sex with the- druggy guy.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's funny. Um she goes, "Hey, she's ovulating." <laughs> <laughs> and then they end up having sex. And she uh she basically attacks him and he's like, "Hey, who's the guy here?" and she gets pissed. "Who's the guy here? Are you fucking kidding me?" And she Basically, kind of, sort of rapes him. Yeah. Um. But honestly, that's probably that's what he kind of had in mind, right. so fuck him.
0: <laughs> but, I mean, she physically attacks him during this process. I had all thought gonna she happen killed to Jason. him. Yeah. Uh-huh. When
1: I first saw it, I thought he was dead, and then he comes back.
0: <laughs> yeah, and he starts getting a rash, and basically all the similar symptoms to what she had.
1: Yes. She has to start taping her tail to her legs, it starts getting really long. So they're in P.E., and Sam shows up to talk to Bridget, because he's really worried. Yeah. Because Bridget has kind of made him think that it's her that's turning. Yes. Not her sister.
0: Exactly. And we know that Trina has a crush on Sam, so this is going to cause more conflict between them. And when Trina gets kind of all up in Bridget's face, Ginger protects Bridget again, And just starts wailing on Trina. She gets sent to the principal's office, obviously. And later on, ends up on her own, not with Bridget, killing Trina's dog. In the meantime, Sam is trying to come up with ways to fight off against this virus for Bridget. And recommends, you know, silver in the blood. A navel piercing with a silver ring. Try that. Uh, Monkshood. And... Uh, well, monkshood's out of season. It's a spring thing. this is not spring.
1: We should also mention that the guy that ginger has sex with Jason he is starting to turn as well like he he started peeing blood and she explains <laughs> um <laughs> Bridget explains to Ginger you had unprotected sex with him and you gave it to him.
0: <laughs> so it's,
1: you know, like a like, like a, a virus. virus. Yeah, uh-huh. And she gets Ginger to go with her to go and see Sam. And she tells Ginger, you know, I've told him that it's me so we can't you can't be obvious. You can't tell him that you're the one yeah. changing.
0: Meanwhile, by the way, she has a tail.
1: That she's been taping. That really. she's been
0: taping down, but she's still wearing, like, tight-ass pants.
1: Yeah. It's a little unbelievable. It's a little
0: unbelievable, yeah.
1: And, you know, she says, if he thinks I dicked him around, he'll blow this off. They go inside, and that's when they he tells them about the silver, uh, but... Ginger's not having any of it, and she leaves, and she's pissed at Bridget. She basically says, you've picked Sam over me. Yeah. Which makes no sense, considering the way that Ginger has been treating her.
0: But i that's intentional. Yes. Number one, Ginger is supposed to be irrational right now and emotional, and it's supposed to parallel, you know, the emotions of kids going through puberty and being irrational. Mm-hmm. So Trina shows up at their house when the parents are gone and accuses them of kidnapping the dog because they had just gotten into this fight. And yes, Ginger did kill the dog. <laughs> <laughs> and there's this big confrontation there and she ends up slipping, hitting her head on the side of the table and dying on accident. Like It was totally like they didn't kill her or anything, but she is now dead. And so... Then all of a sudden the parents come home and they need to make it look like there's not a dead body here. So they throw her in the meat freezer in the garage and lie down in the pool of blood to make it look like they're staging more photographs, which I thought was very clever. It
1: was very clever. And when the mom (laughs) is about to find the dead body. Yeah. She walks into the uh, Bridget walks in and she scares her mom, getting her to turn around. Uh-huh. She just she shouts, "Jesus Christ on a bicycle!"
0: <laughs> it was fabulous. And when the dad's like, "What is this?" or whatever, she's like, "Corn syrup. You want some?" And mm-hmm. like offers up the blood. And yeah, that's so she's she's eating blood now too. Yes. And and the mom gets pissed because I thought you said no murders in the house or whatever.
1: Girls, I told you no more deaths in the house. Don't be mad. For extra credit. And then they pretend like they want to hear, what are guys into? Just just to distract the mother. Yes,
0: yeah, oh yeah. Uh Uh-huh.
1: So she goes and she sits down and she's talking to them and then they leave. And she's all excited talking to the husband, and he's like, something's going on with them. And she's like, Oh, it's just, you know, puberty, you don't understand. You're just a boy. Yeah. And he's like, No, why are they so interested in you suddenly?
0: (laughs) And she gets defensive. You know, it's like the womanly thing where you just wouldn't understand because you're a man. This is something that women go through. It happens. They, meanwhile, try to bury the body out in the tool shed and they need to take it out of the freezer and it's kind of frostbitten at this point and some fingers break off. We see, but they don't. Mm -hmm. And It's just sitting in the yard. Later on, the parents find the fingers and the dad's like, what the fuck? And the mom says, oh, it's just the their props for their photos, puts them in a Tupperware container, and puts them in the fridge. Because
1: she knows they're real.
0: No, at some point she realizes it. I'm not convinced that this is that point. But sometime after this, she realizes that, yes, it is real.
1: During all this, we find out that Ginger killed their dog. Yeah. And had earlier blamed it on something else. And she basically says, I killed my own dog for fun. Like, something's fucked up with me. Yeah, And she leaves. And then the mom comes to talk to Bridget. And she's like, you know, something is wrong with your sister. And... Bridget on the on the quick says she thinks it's cool how you let us figure stuff out on our own. And the mom's like, "I'm so glad that's working." <laughs> and so the mom is no longer concerned.
0: So this is kind of when the movie kind of changes course a little bit and becomes a little bit more I mean, I guess action-packed, a little bit more intense, and Bridget and Ginger split up for a little while.
1: Halloween.
0: Halloween.
1: Which is always a good excuse when you're changing something about your body.
0: Yeah, it's Halloween. So Bridget finds out that her mom, who's totally into arts and crafts, has some monkshood. A type of flower. Really what you should be using instead of Wolfsbane, uh, which everyone knows about Wolfsbane. And, <laughs> but we know all the lore is all kind of out of whack and it's not traditional because Bridget takes – Sam's advice at one point And pierces her sister's navel With a silver ring and nothing happens Sister just rips it out and While
1: it does hurt her when she puts it in there That could
0: just be because of the piercing Yeah. So she finds this monk's hood And she's like oh my god I have to take this to Sam And they develop a cure Meanwhile Ginger's kind of Out on the prowl While Bridget is trying to find Ginger She runs into Jason And Jason is not doing well Sam also reveals around this point that, listen, I know it's your sister. I know it's not you. I'm not an idiot.
1: Yeah. And he says, uh, when they make the potion or whatever, he says, understand you might kill her if you try to save her. She's
0: like, her? Eh, I'm not dumb. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so here she is with this cure and she comes across Jason. Jason. And like I say, Jason's not doing that great. He's really transformed.
1: He's about to eat a little kid.
0: Yes. And she stops him and he attacks her and she gets him with the cure. And it ends up working. Oh, my God. We know the cure works, but she just used a dose of it on Jason. Mm -hmm. But now she's nearby the school. She tries to find Ginger into school and Ginger has killed the guidance counselor and when they need to clean it up, the janitor comes by, and then she kills the janitor, too. hmm And this is going way, way, way too far.
1: Yeah, uh, so the janitor, like, is trying to help Bridget or something, and when it happens, Ginger attacks him, and Bridget gets pissed. She's like, he hasn't done anything To me. And uh, she goes, well, I didn't like the way he was always looking at you. Yeah. Basically, Bridget calls her out. She's like, no, you're just doing this for fun now. You're just enjoying yourself. And Ginger says, how dare you? Like, I said I'd die for you. And Bridget fires back with, you said you'd die with me because you had nothing better to do.
0: Yeah. So it's around this time that the mom finds Trina's body. And because she had already suspected, she's not entirely surprised, and she goes out in her car to look for her daughters, and she finds Bridget, because Ginger's since run away, and explains to her effectively, listen, I got this, we'll take care of this, I need to protect my babies, kind of like the mom in Bloody Birthday. Yes at the end of bloody birthday. That mom was in denial
1: though. This mom fully recognizes it, fully understands it and just says, fuck it. I got to take care of my kids. Yes.
0: And she says, we're going to find your sister and we're going to get out of here. I'm going to fill up the house uh, with gas and then blow it up. That will hide Trina's death as well. And we'll just take care of this. And do you remember what Bridget says something about, what about dad and what the mom says?
1: She says, he'll just blame me. They all will. Yeah. So essentially, she's just saying, we'll just leave him behind. Yeah. This is a nice, sweet little moment. Bridget says, This isn't your fault, mom. And the mom starts crying and she says, Yes, it is. And it's so sad. Yeah. So the mom has done nothing but try to be a good mom.
0: Yeah. Uh huh. But around this time, when Bridget goes to find Ginger, this is kind of where we just never hear from the mom again. From
1: the <laughs> yeah. She goes off <laughs> looking for them. We never see her again.
0: So Ginger has shown up at Sam's Halloween party and is what's the term for this is trying to seduce Sam because what to, because she doesn't like the fact that Sam and Bridget are getting together. And when Sam like kind of pushes her away, she yells at him. She's only 15 or whatever. And he's like, it's not like that. And he's trying to swear up and down that this isn't a sex thing. You know, we and just-
1: poor Bridget is like, oh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and she ends up breaking his arm. The girls are just like bickering at each other at this point.
1: Bridget is pissed at Ginger, super, super pissed. But she says, "You have wrecked everything for me that wasn't about you. Now I am you." And they they put their palms together, which are cut, and she gives her the virus. Yeah, but that's kind of a breaking moment for Ginger. She's like oh, now I feel like shit because my sister's doing this. Yeah. And she goes, I'm turning too fast. Like, you can't save me, basically. But then Sam knocks Ginger out.
0: Yes, with a shovel. <laughs> so they try to take her back home and prepare more of the cure. Well,
1: before that, he he turns to Bridget and he's like, what did you do that for? And she's just <laughs> like, uh, to get her to, to be more docile, obviously. Yeah,
0: to calm her down. But while they're driving... Ginger continues to transform and when they get to where they need to go, she's gone. She's broken out of, out of Sam's van. So she could be anywhere and they start to make the cure. They're hiding out and they're trying to remake the cure with more of the monkshood that the mom had. And Sam gets it in his mind that he's going to be the hero and he's going to be the one to administer this cure to Ginger And he goes out and almost immediately gets mauled. (laughs) He can't do a fucking thing before he's mauled. It kind of diffuses a very typical Hollywood trope of, uh, well, we need a man to save the day.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Like if you saw Ready Player One, this is a really good example of it. Uh, The main character in Ready Player One is held up as the man who's like destined to do all this stuff. But like, The woman, she is just as, if not more capable than him. She knows more than he knows. There's no reason why she couldn't just do it herself other than this Hollywood obsession with the heroic male character Mm -hmm. and the supportive woman. Mm -hmm. So in this sense, he goes out to be heroic and then is immediately taken down. Yes. (laughs) He's not dead yet, though, but he is taken down. So... Ginger is somewhere in the house now. She runs off, and Bridget follows this trail of blood, finds Sam, and Ginger finds her. And in order to convince Ginger that she's turning two, because remember, Ginger is, like, like full on a werewolf now, <laughs> in order to convince her that 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 she's turning two, starts drinking Sam's blood. And...
1: And Ginger calms down, and she thinks that they're going to be together now.
0: But she, like coughs the blood out, like she can't do it.
1: She spits it out, and she says, I won't do it. Yeah. Which happened earlier with Ginger, too.
0: Yeah. Same
1: exact thing. So
0: instead, Ginger just kills Sam herself. This is the Sam dies. He doesn't have any great heroic moment in this movie. Poor Sam. So now, Ginger's chasing Bridget around the house, and... At one point in the movie, we didn't mention this, but Ginger tries to cut her own tail off, hoping that it would heal over like the other wounds she's been getting, and Bridget stops her from doing that. But Bridget finds this knife again in their room, and now she has two things. She has the syringe with the cure and the knife. Now, we know in this universe, because the Beast of Bailey Downs got hit by a van and died— That they can still die in traditional ways. Yes. But the monkshood is the cure. It cures the virus. But you can still kill the being. Yes. And so she has the cure. She has the knife. And before she can decide what to do with it, Ginger attacks her. And in the process, gets stabbed by the knife. And is dying now. And the movie ends with Bridget sort of embracing her werewolf sister and crying as Ginger dies. hmm And that's the end of the movie.
1: Not before they can pan over a skeleton drawing twice. <laughs> twice.
0: <laughs> All right, Kelsey, lightning round.
1: In the very, very, very beginning, why did she take her kid over to see
0: the dead dog? <laughs> she didn't. That's not what happened. <laughs> they were. She was gardening, and her kid was in the like a sandbox or playing in the grass or something like that. And then when she goes to he's like he says he sees something or whatever. She goes over to him and notices he has blood on him and then follows the blood and finds the dog. She didn't like take the kid to show her the dead dog.
1: Pretty sure you'd know that your dog's
0: dead. No, she 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 screams and flips out. She had no idea the kid found the dog. The ending I felt kind of went on forever.
1: The ending did go on a little too long.
0: Because like I say, the movie turns and it becomes more intense and this is like the rising action, but it's like half the movie almost – Where we're just dealing with this rising action and the two of them being split up and them going to the school and killing the janitor and the guidance counselor and the mom finding out about everything. But that goes nowhere anyway, except a really fantastic moment in the car with Bridget. It doesn't actually lead anywhere. uh, So it feels like that could have all been cut. It just that ending kind of drags on for far too long. And Mm -hmm. and, and then you have everything in the house, Mm -hmm. which should have really been most of the the rising action should have been there. (laughs) But no, that's not what happened Um, That's probably one of my Biggest complaints about the movie
1: When Sam hits the Lycanthrope for the first time His reaction is so good Oh fuck (laughs) It's it's really really funny (laughs) Oh fuck me I think my favorite part about this movie is the humor.
0: Yeah, it's a funny movie.
1: I love the humor in this. And the
0: relationship between these two girls beyond just like the drama and growing up and all of that. Just how well they get along and they mesh uh, because they understand each other uh, is just fantastic. It's a very well-written relationship. Any other lightning round stuff?
1: Who punches a dog at some point? Probably Ginger. Somebody punches a – yeah, it might be. Yes, it is. So Ginger – At some point, Trina and her dog are are like, you know, heckling at Bridget and
0: Ginger just full on punches the dog. Yes. In that scene when the dog is barking at her and then she attacks Trina. Yes. She just fucking punches the dog. So good. We love dogs. We are huge, huge dog fans and we would never advocate violence towards dogs. But we do recognize that it's fake in this and it's not encouraging it.
1: I also, I was a little annoyed, and they have to do this for the movie's sake, I understand, but like it's really frustrating that not once but twice Trina is bullying the sisters on campus during PE and the teacher doesn't show up until Ginger retaliates. Yeah. That really bothers it's me. A classic
0: school trope. Yes. Yeah.
1: That bothered me. I think I said earlier that I don't like the makeup that she gets.
0: Yeah, we mentioned that before the break.
1: When she, Yeah, when she's walking through the Halloween party and everybody's telling her, cool costume. I'm like, not really. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. It was a weird artistic conception, I think. She has the
0: hair is all up and it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of weird.
1: Yeah. I really like this movie. I'm not crazy about the way it ends, and it does have some problems, but That's I- a couple sequels, too. But for the most part, I really enjoy it.
0: Yeah. Like, there's a Ginger Snaps 2, and there's a Ginger Snaps Back. So, apparently, she survives. <laughs> Spoilers. What do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes?
1: I'm going to guess this is pretty high. I'm going to say 84.
0: Rotten Tomato score of 89%. There you go. The strong female cast and biting satire of teenage life makes Ginger Snaps far more memorable than your average werewolf movie or teen flick. Metacritic of 70. Overrated or underrated?
1: Maybe a little overrated.
0: Yeah. What would you give it?
1: I'm going to give it an 80. Okay. It's It's so funny. I really, really enjoyed it. It's just kind of, it's kind of slow in some parts, I'd yeah. say. And that kind of drags it down. And then the ending, like you said, drags on for a little too long. I think it needed to be edited a little bit.
0: Yeah. I I, I chose an 80 as well. <laughs> I think we're dead on on this one. And remember, we jointly gave Legend of Hell House a 79 and a half. <laughs> uh, and we loved that movie. It just ended kind of weakly. Mm-hmm this movie isn't absolutely perfect by any means. Yeah. And so, uh, but it is very, very enjoyable. Chickapedia. I can see why this is on your list. It's a lot of fun. I really, really, really wish I had seen it when it came out <laughs> because like, I feel like it would have been right up my alley. And like I said, all these kids, they look like teenagers. They're in their early twenties or late teens when they're in this movie. And, It's really effective at portraying teenagers in a fantasy setting realistically. Like, I kind of believed all of it as far as, like, who they are and what type of people they are. And they look like real teenagers. And it's not like what a lot of movies in the 2000s did, which was, like, overproduce teenage life. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? This doesn't do that. And I think that really would have rang true for me as a teenager. But unfortunately, I didn't see it for the first time until I was 35, so.
1: (laughs) I think my biggest issue with this movie is that I'm not entirely sure what it's trying to say. Some parts of it seem very much like feminism and good and, you know, like strong women and strong female characters and etc. But then there's other times where it's like, no, you can't be sexually liberated because then you're – a crazy bitch like i don't know exactly what it's trying to say
0: i i don't think that it's necessarily trying to say as much as it is trying to be <laughs> it's like supposed to be a reflection in an augmentation of being a young teenage girl i don't think it's trying to say anything in particular is bad or good Although I see what you're going with, where yes, the bad werewolf behavior is the sexuality and yeah. the aggression and, and all that. And that bothers
1: me a little bit. Yeah,
0: no, I can I can totally see that. But also it's 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 not about that sexuality is bad and drugs are bad. It's that you've changed. It's about the change, not the end result, I think. Because werewolves in general are just a metaphor for change.
1: And I would be okay with it if it was. Just about changing who you are as a person, but because they link it so, so tightly with her yeah. becoming a woman and becoming sexually liberated. No, I
0: I, I I think it does that effectively, but but I think you're right. Where it ends up is ultimately it seems like an indictment of. You know, having sexuality, gaining that sexuality when you become a woman, um, you know, being more aggressive, not putting up with people's bullshit. Like, why are these portrayed as negative traits? And I just think that that's a result of Bridget had to be, like, turned off by the changes her sister was going through. And, you know, what's the alternative? That she's already sexually liberated and when she becomes a werewolf she becomes a prude <laughs> like i
1: get what you're saying i just kind of wish they had
0: you're right it's it's not it's not great yeah it is unfortunately a reality of the metaphor that they've set up I think that they, they kind of have to live with now
1: yeah i think they're un, i think they unintentionally yeah said something i don't think they meant to
0: right yeah all right Anything else to say about Ginger Snaps? That's it. Thank you very much, Chickapedia, for recommending it. I'm glad we were finally able to get around to it. That was this week's episode with 1981's The Howling and 2000's Ginger Snaps. Kelsey, what are we watching next week?
1: Next week is another recommendation week. Whoop, whoop. This one comes from Wes.
0: Wes, thank you for writing us.
1: Wes wanted us to watch... Uh, the Burbs and Slither.
0: I fucking love The Burbs. I always have ever since I was a little kid. And I'll explain, I think, why when we when we talk about the episode. Uh, a lot of it has to do with, you know, somebody knowing something's true and knowing no one believing them. It kind of mixes that up a little bit in a very satisfying way. Plus, it's Tom Hanks being very entertaining and all these great characters – we had a conversation as to whether this is really a horror movie. I say no. I say yes.
1: I say it's a full blown comedy. It
0: terrified me when I was a kid,
1: and that's weird. But but I mean, like when we think about it, the movies that scared me when I was a kid didn't scare you, and the movies that scared you when you were a kid didn't scare yeah, me. Yeah. Uh-huh. This movie did nothing to me. Right. It didn't scare me at all. I thought it was funny. That's all. But I it's all
0: about it. like most of the horror comes in suggestion. Except for a few key parts, which we'll get to next week. Um, classic, I would say cult film, because it didn't do very well in theaters. Uh, but it is still very popular. It's Not- about paranoia in a small town. Yeah. In this case, suburbs. And that ties into the second movie, which is Slither. Which is a movie <laughs> kind that kind of I had never seen before. Which is kind of nuts, because... Yeah, I mean... Yeah, James Gunn. James Gunn wrote and directed... And
1: Nathan Fillion. Slither.
0: Yeah, it had Nathan Fillion in it. Um, And it has a lot of ties to, like, James Gunn's trauma past. And growing up, I watched a lot of trauma movies. And I'm just really surprised that I had never seen this movie before, which is about an infestation in a small town and how they deal with that. So the theme for next week is small town horror. So... You can watch those movies and uh, join us next week when we talk about them. Until then, you can always reach us at podsemetery.com where you can browse a list of every one of our episodes, including an alphabetical list of every single movie we've ever covered. It's a great way to get into the podcast and uh, find episodes that you might be interested in. You can leave a comment or share your thoughts on the movies, or you can make a recommendation through the website there. You can also email us at pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at pod cemetery. Oftentimes while I'm editing, I'll add comments uh, that I think of during the edit and wasn't clever enough to think of all the mics were on. Uh, sometimes Kelsey will live tweet a horror movie that she's watching. Don't forget to rate review and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Five star written reviews are the absolute biggest help. So for those of you who have done that, thank you so much. Beyond that, thank you for sharing with your friends. That's also a huge help and for listening in the first place. We appreciate it and we love you. Until next week, I've been Chris.
1: I've been Kelsey.
0: And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, hmm. any last words?
1: Wrists are for girls. I'm slitting my throat.
0: My life again. I don't want to be buried in a pit cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. I'm addicted to the sacred place. This ain't a dream. I can't escape. More and fangs that are picking up the phone. In the year 2000, in the year 2000, you don't remember that? I don't know what you're talking about. Late Night with Conan O'Brien?
1: I never watched Conan Him O'Brien. Him and Andy
0: Richter, they had this segment called The Year 2000 where they would predict what happens in the year 2000. And then after it changed over and it was past the year 2000, they kept doing the bit.
1: <laughs> no, I don't remember. I mean, I didn't watch Conan O'Brien. I never did.
0: Wow. It's before YouTube, too. So couldn't we could probably find the old clips on YouTube, though. <laughs> You could take our advice or leave it. And when we, and the wheels on the ground, go round and round. (laughs) Sorry, say that again.
1: But they light it up on fire, and I'm like, dude, you just killed your husband.
0: (laughs) Hold on. Oh,
1: you could cut a lot of this out.
0: Oh, that sounded like you were going to go somewhere with
1: that. No. you should go fuck yourselves.